0: Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith,
2: co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
0: Welcome back to Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown and across the table is Matthew Stockton.
2: Hello, Mike Brown. How are you, Matthew? Ten out of ten, thank you. So this is actually our first recording after the new year. Yeah, we took a little a little break.
0: We needed a little break, <laughs> holy smokes. Uh yeah. So my brain needed a break anyway. Welcome back. Yeah. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Animo bar. It's time to
2: scarf down some dark poutine. You are responsible for obtaining and maintaining at your own cost all equipment needed to listen to dark poutine. Dark poutine can be addictive. Side effects may include, but not be limited to, pausing and questioning the system, elevated heart rate, pondering humanity, odd looks from colleagues as you laugh out loud at work, family members not into true crime worrying about you. Positive side effects may include some perspectives and opinions that you disagree with, as well as some wokeness and empathy. If you don't think dark poutine is for you, consult your doctor immediately.
0: At 8 p.m. on the evening of March 21, 2006, the B.C. ferries-operated motor vessel Queen of the North departed Prince Rupert, British Columbia. The long-haul passenger and vehicle ferry, making the 18-hour overnight trip to Port Hardy on the northern end of Vancouver Island, was carrying 22 vehicles, 101 people, 59 passengers and 42 crew. Many passengers were asleep when at 12:21 a.m. at 17.5 knots, the ferry struck an underwater ledge on the northeast side of Gill Island in Wright Sound. The damage to the hull was catastrophic. It tore holes in the starboard side and took out the propellers. The ferry lost propulsion and began drifting and taking on water. Upon realizing the ferry was lost, the crew and passengers loaded into the lifeboats to take them safely away from the foundering vessel which sank in 430 meters of water only 80 minutes later. Sadly, two of the passengers, Shirley Rosette and Gerald Foisy, a couple from 100 Mile House in BC, were unaccounted for. As they've never been found, they have since been declared dead. Investigations by BC ferries and the Canadian Transportation Safety Board determined that the sinking was due to human error on the part of the ferry's navigational crew, and the RCMP undertook a criminal investigation. Helmswoman Karen Breker was fired, as was Captain Colin Henthorne, who was rightfully in his cabin at the time. But the brunt of the blame for the incident fell squarely on the shoulders of another man, the ship's fourth officer. On March 16, 2010, the Crown charged Carl Heinz Arthur Lilgert with two counts of criminal negligence causing death. Lilgert was subsequently convicted of both charges and sentenced to four years in prison. You are listening to Dark Poutine episode 250, The Sinking of the Queen of the North. Thanks to Yumber Yarder, Ryan Fryer, and others for the case suggestion. It's been on my list of possible episodes since I initially created the list, but sometimes it's nice to get a nudge to move forward with a story. I'm a good guy, that Ryan. He is a good guy. He's always very creative in his posting. He is. And, uh, you mentioned something while we were sort of, we were eating McDonald's, so we're not judging. We're any.
2: eating McDonald's. And I, I said, like, cause I love watching like people's food, right? Yeah, and, sure. And, and we have the Yum Yum bus. Yep. And Ryan never has greens on his plate. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. But the food <laughs> looks delicious otherwise. Yeah,
0: I think I still eat like an eight-year-old. I don't know what it is. Like I could go with tater tots and chicken fingers every night.
2: Yeah, so can I. Yeah. Well, nice shout out there to Ryan in Utah. Yeah, there you go.
0: Traveling by ferry in BC is common, especially as some areas would otherwise be inaccessible by car or the route would take days to navigate. The BC Ferries Corporation has an excellent record of safety for getting passengers to their destination on time and in relative comfort. According to their website, they are, quote, proud to be one of the largest ferry operators in the world, moving more than 60,000 customers and 23,000 vehicles throughout coastal BC every day. The site continues, for 60 years, we have been dedicated to providing safe and efficient travel to our customers. Our role as ferry transportation provider goes beyond getting passengers from point A to point B. With 25 routes throughout the west coast of BC, we serve as advocates for the coastal environment and communities we operate. Operations began in 1960 with just two ferries providing service on a single route. Today, we have 39 ferries moving more than 22 million passengers and 8 million vehicles every year, end quote. My first trip on a BC Ferries vessel was from Horseshoe Bay to Nanaimo in 1976 when my family was visiting so dad could attend a veterinary conference in Richmond and I've always remembered the trip fondly and recall being awed by the beautiful scenery as the large ferry we were on traversed the channels on the way to Vancouver Island. Memories of that trip as a youngster played a part in my eventual move to the west coast. In the nearly 30 years I've been in British Columbia, I have personally sailed on several routes of BC ferries, several BC ferries routes, most commonly to Vancouver Island, the Sunshine Coast, and the Gulf Islands. The service has always been efficient and their workers pleasant. Although I've not made one of the long haul ferry trips like the one we're speaking of here, I would love to do it at some point.
2: You know, um, before I got into cannabis, uh, one of my last jobs was helping to build that new BC Webfairies website.
0: Oh, that's funny. Okay, cool. Yeah,
2: and I rebranded their restaurants on on the ships.
0: Oh, you rebranded them? Yeah. Mm. Well, aren't they all now white spots? No, they're not
2: all white spots. Oh, Okay. No, yeah, so they're different ones. We just updated logos and stuff. Oh, like that. I got gotcha. shops and restaurants. Oh, and, that's cool. But here is something funny. I used to so BC Ferries was a client. Yep. I used to take the heli jet to the meetings. <laughs> so the meetings were on the island, <laughs> and I take the heli jet because it was faster. Well, yeah. But I eventually, but, yeah. I, I eventually took the ferry. Yeah. Oh my God, that trip is so beautiful. Yeah, I love taking the ferry to the island. Just sure. to Victoria from Vancouver. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's beautiful. And you, you walk out on the promenade, especially like early in the morning, right? Yeah. And the islands are going past and it's almost like meditative. right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, I love taking the BC ferries. I really, really yeah, do. it's good. As well as tourism. Many British Columbians use the ferry system to commute from place to place, and trucking companies utilize it as an efficient means to ship goods around the province. As a result, British Columbians have high expectations when it comes to getting around by ferry. If you want to have a lengthy, sometimes heated discussion, ask anyone about the cost of the ferries, or worse yet, chat about wait times or weather cancellations. All in all, though, we here in BC do love our ferries. I, though, miss the sunshine breakfast. If you know, you know. Incidents have occurred, of course, over the 62 years that the BC ferries have been in operation. However, they are so rare that they often make the news. There have been collisions with other vessels, ferries have run aground, and there have been hard bumps into docks. There have been other severe and fatal incidents as well. From tsb.gc.ca, quote, The Queen of New Westminster was docked at number three berth in Departure Bay, British Columbia, on 13th of August, 1992. During the final stages of vehicle loading on the upper deck aboard the Queen of New Westminster, a van with six occupants was directed to stop. While the van was stopped on the apron of the shore loading ramp, the ferry began to pull away from the berth. The apron lost the support of the ferry deck, causing the van to fall onto the ferry's lower deck and then into the water. As a result of this accident, three of the occupants, two of them children, died, and three were recovered safely from the water, one having received serious injuries. The board determined that established clearance procedures were not followed, and the ferry departed prematurely from the berth. Contributing to this occurrence were the shore and shipboard personnel's preoccupation with maintaining the ferry schedule and communication problems associated with the use of portable radios by terminal personnel. Never before or since the Queen of the North incident, however, had BC ferries lost a vessel. The 125-meter steel vessel weighing 8,889 gross tons, originally named the Stenadonica, was built in Germany in 1969. The government of British Columbia purchased her in 1974 for $17.7 million. The registry of the vessel was transferred to Canada. She was renamed the Queen of Surrey and served the route between Nanaimo and Horseshoe Bay for the next six years, making an average of eight trips per day before undergoing a $10 million refit for the northern British Columbia ferry routes, adding staterooms, more cargo space, restaurants, and was then renamed the Queen of the North. And I just realized as I'm reading this, I didn't even realize it while I was writing. That could have possibly been the ferry that I traveled to Nanaimo. That's incredible. That's really weird. So they named her Queen of the North. Queen of the North. Well, as she
2: was going to be serving Northern British Columbia, they named her Queen of the North. It's my hope that our American listeners think of me as Queen of the North. (laughs) I'm I'm a tired old ferry from the 70s as well.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to make any references to going down (laughs) because that would not be appropriate. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, dear. She was assigned to the inside passage route between Port Hardy on Vancouver Island and Prince Rupert in northern B.C. In addition, she occasionally served Bella Bella, Skidgate, Queen Charlotte Islands, and several other small northwestern coastal villages. Due to the isolation of some of these communities where roads were poor or non-existent, she served as the primary source of transport, picking up residents and medical patients and dropping off food, mail, and supplies. In 1985, she was refurbished and designated the flagship of the BC Ferries fleet. A further refurbishment in the 1990s included, for safety, a second set of internally welded doors to prevent the bow from flooding in rough seas. Her final refit, costing $500,000, came in 2001 at the Vancouver Shipyards. This included a redesign and modernization of the passenger decks. However, owing to her older single-hull design, the ship was not designed to survive a significant hull breach or the flooding of more than one bulkhead compartment. All newer ferries can survive flooding of at least two bulkhead compartments, and because of this concern, the ship was intended to be replaced between 2009 and 2011. But as we know, she never met her retirement date. According to the TSB report on the Queen of the North incident, at the time of her sinking, the vessel had eight decks, including a double bottom as follows. Deck 8 was the ventilation deck. Deck 7, boat deck. Deck 6, promenade deck. Deck 5, saloon deck. Deck 4, platform deck. Deck 3, main car deck. Deck 2, tween deck. Deck 1, double bottom. The hull below the main car deck was subdivided by 11 transverse watertight bulkheads with 11 sliding watertight doors providing access to the main compartments. The engine rooms were located amidship. Deck 2, tween deck, contained crew accommodation spaces. There were two car decks, the main car deck and the platform deck, decks 3 and 4 respectively. Vehicles had access to deck 3 by way of the stern or bow doors and ramps. Deck three was arranged for three lanes of cars on the port side and two lanes on the starboard side. The engine casing was mounted slightly off the centerline. Two sets of transverse flood control doors were fitted on this deck. Deck four was divided into five sections, port and starboard, with three hoistable platforms on each side. So this is quite a complex ship. Deck five, the saloon deck, contained passenger common areas, such as the cafeteria and the bar, and also the galley and the purser's office. Deck 6, the promenade deck, contained a passenger accommodation space aft, a port midship lounge, and an enclosed reserved passenger seating area, as well as a lounge and passenger seating area forward. Deck 7, the boat deck, contained another passenger accommodation space aft, and the officer's accommodation space amidships and the wheelhouse at the forward end. So this is like a floating hotel, essentially, that you can park your cars in. These things are huge.
2: They, yeah, this one especially. This was a big, you know, big th- ship. This isn't like the little aqua bus that Steve and I toot around on. No. Uh, on, on Falls Creek. Yeah. They're like small cruise ships. Yeah, totally.
0: And uh it's meant to, for passenger comfort, because these are long trips. I mean, if you had traversed all the way from mm-hmm. uh to
2: port hardy that's like a 22 hour trip yeah it's not um so yeah i mean vancouver island (laughs) yeah if you look it's it's like it's like half of the uk yeah right yeah it's big yeah the
0: vessel was crewed in two-week watches by a pair of liveaboard crew teams labeled a and b the crew aboard that evening was crew b not Captain Henthorne's usual crew, as he typically captained Crew A. Due to issues with staffing at the time, Henthorne was heading Crew B. He said in his book, The Queen of the North Disaster, The Captain Story, that he was unconcerned, writing that the alternate crew was very experienced, well-trained, and those that required it had been certified by the Ministry of Transportation. As one would assume, the typical route was to Prince Rupert from Skidigate in Haida Gwaii on the southeastern coast of Graham Island. Skidigate, located on Skidigate Indian Reserve Number 1, was formerly home to the Skidigate Mission, is also northern terminal for the BC Ferry service between Graham Island and Alliford Bay on Moresby Island. According to tradition, the village was named after an earlier village chief, son of the Chitin, whose name, the late 18th century traders in sea otter pelts recorded as Skidigate. Between 1790 and 1820, the community was a hub for exploiting sea otter furs. Skidigate is home to several famed totem poles as well. On March 21, 2006, the B crew was six days into their two-week watch, and all their trips had run smoothly. That day, the weather was clear and there was little wind. The Queen of the North arrived in Prince Rupert at 5 p.m., unloaded passengers, vehicles, and cargo, and began prepping for the longer leg to Port Hardy. They were to take the inside passage through narrow channels along B.C.'s western coast between the province's mainland and its numerous islands that required exact attention to its navigation. The ferry was loaded with vehicles and passengers, and she was not even close to a full sailing. Only 22 vehicles were aboard, with room for as many as 127. This meant fewer passengers as well. Although outfitted for 650, there were just 59 passengers that night. There was almost a crew member for every passenger, with 42 aboard, two of whom were training, and eight slots were unfilled. Passenger cabins were assigned to those with cabin reservations, and if cabins were available, Passengers without cabin reservations could purchase cabin space on board from the chief steward. Some passengers changed cabin assignments that night. The ramps were up, the lines were cast off, and at 8 p.m., Queen of the North left the dock. Captain Henthorne saw the vessel through the first hour of her voyage, leaving the bridge, he said, at 9 p.m. He left the vessel in what he believed were the capable hands of his crew. It was his turn for some rest. He spent the next half hour or so in his cabin, relaxing before falling asleep in his bunk. In his book, Henthorne wrote that the next thing he knew, Karen Breker, the vessel's quartermaster, was pounding on his door demanding that he come to the bridge on the double. Henthorne quickly got dressed and while he was lacing up his boots, he felt and heard what could only be the ship colliding with something. Things flew off the surfaces in his cabin and the captain was jerked back and forth by what he instinctively knew was the ship running aground. It was 1222 a.m. on March 27, 2006. We'll take a quick break and be back with more. And we are back, Matthew, thoughts on this
2: episode so far, okay, when things go wrong like this, and mm-hmm. it's so completely out of so you know you're tootling along doing your thing, yeah, and all of a sudden, the ship is capsizing you're you're you know, there's cold, dark water, yeah, you know it's you know, everything we do in life is a test of faith, even like walking right when you one put one foot in front of the other, it's a bit of faith that the ground's not going. to fall in front of you well, yeah but just to be so completely out of control in these situations mm-hmm. is scary yeah it really makes you question mortality and yeah and, and I, it, it's
0: realize how fragile life really is yeah
2: i mean over the the past few weeks um i'd gone to montreal yep and we almost landed and needed to a the landing and it's nothing like this but when you're like literally on the runway Yeah, And suddenly suddenly the plane lifting back up because we're going to miss the runway or something. Oh, dear. There's like nothing you can do. Nope. And imagine being on the ship and suddenly, you know, you're just sitting there eating or having a nap or whatever. And then you're being thrust into little, hopefully, you know, little... Uh, Lifeboats, life boats, yeah. In uh, and, and it would have been well. They're dark, not so little sometimes, too. Dark and cold, yeah. And they were out there for hours, right? Yeah, just well bobbing around,
0: waiting for the larger ships to come and pick them up. Yeah. yeah. The general alarm was already sounding when Captain Henthorn arrived on the bridge and found the second officer there. The second officer had, after seeing land on the starboard radar, moved the engine throttle controls from full ahead to full astern. The vessel was not responding at all. It became clear later that the collision with the underwater ledge had destroyed the propellers used to drive the ship and no amount of fiddling with the controls would have made any difference. Queen of the North was adrift. Worse yet, she was taking on water even though the watertight doors had been ordered closed by the captain soon after he'd entered the bridge. According to the later TSB report, quote, water ingress into the hull was immediate, rapid, and extensive, and the, quote, bilge pumps could not keep up with the seawater rushing through the holes in the vessel's hull. When the vessel struck the island, the starboard side hull plating was ruptured along the keel at the forward end and also in way of at least two other main watertight compartments, the main engine room and one crew accommodation area aft on deck 2 including the workshop below it is known that at least three main compartments experienced initial flooding at 1226 am the queen of the north advised prince rupert traffic that the vessel was aground and required immediate assistance at 1227 prince rupert coast guard radio broadcast a mayday relay on vhf channel 16 indicating that the Queen of the North was aground, listing severely and taking on water just south of Sainty Point in Grenville Channel. Somehow, in the pandemonium of the moment, the vessel's exact latitude and longitude were misreported several times in the few minutes after the time of the collision. The water was pouring into the crew quarters on Deck 2, and by the time the last crew member had been evacuated, the cold Pacific Ocean water had been waist-deep, One crew member on Deck 2 was briefly trapped in her cabin when a locker fell and blocked her door. She freed herself, by which time some four feet of water had accumulated inside the cabin. The decision to abandon ship, albeit never easy, was the only sensible choice. The alarm was blaring, and announcements were made over the PA system to alert the passengers and crew of the collision. All passengers and crew were told to go to the upper deck boat and life raft stations. Almost immediately after the grounding of the vessel, crew members were pounding on doors and checking passenger cabins. Lounges were cleared. From the TSB report, quote, Clearing was not carried out according to the procedures in BC Ferries fleet regulations. Chalk marks were not placed on doors, and not all rooms were physically searched. Not all cabins were cleared by those assigned to that particular muster duty. Some crew members were delayed by water ingress, Others had already cleared the areas, and there was some confusion about whether to follow the public announcement directing people to proceed directly to the upper deck boat and life raft stations versus following the procedure of clearing all the passenger areas. End quote. Once mustered on deck 7, passengers were directed to stay clear, and the crew prepared to launch the survival craft. According to the TSB report, at that time, the crew did not do a total headcount, but counts were made on loading lifeboats to prevent overcrowding. The counts were not recorded in any way. One person designated to perform this count was reportedly distracted by a passenger with young children and only later returned to complete the count. The ship had been fully abandoned by 1.12 a.m., and the passengers and crew watched helplessly as the large ferry listed and drifted with the current. She sank at 1.40 a.m., before help arrived. Passengers and crew used three life rafts, one lifeboat, and one rescue boat during their abandonment. Search and rescue and Coast Guard vessels began steaming toward the Queen of the North to pluck the passengers and crew from the bobbing life rafts. The first vessel on the scene was the fishing vessel Lone Star at one forty five a.m. Other fishing vessels made their way to the scene as well. A fast rescue boat from the Coast Guard vessel Sir Wilfrid Laurier arrived at 1.56 a.m. A total of 63 passengers and crew were transported to Hartley Bay by local vessels, and 36 passengers and crew were taken aboard the Sir Wilfrid Laurier. As the groups were split up, the headcounts over the next few crucial hours were off, and according to Captain Henthorne in his book, they changed several times. 11 passengers and crew were transported from Hartley Bay to Prince Rupert by helicopter just after 7 in the morning. At 10.15 a.m., all remaining passengers and crew from Hartley Bay were taken aboard Sir Wilford Laurier and then proceeded to Prince Rupert, arriving at 5 p.m. that evening. Two people, Shirley Rosette and Gerald Foisy, a common-law couple from a 100-mile house, had apparently failed to reach the lifeboats. They'd been assigned a cabin on the vessel's port side. Adding to the confusion, a passenger reportedly told police the missing couple had been seen in Hartley Bay during the rescue effort. A thorough search of the small aboriginal community of 200 people by police turned up nothing and no sign of the couple. Gerald Foyze's years of work as a metal fabricator in 100 Mile House had taken their toll on him. He was on a six-month medical leave at the time of the ship's sinking and had been dealing with depression and alcoholism after a messy divorce. Shirley was working at a temp gig as a receptionist at Dog Creek Indian Band, where she was from. She had struggled as well. She'd lost her husband of 19 years after a fishing accident in 2003. She, too, had been depressed. They found comfort in each other's company. Gerald's boss later claimed that Gerald seemed to be turning things around and was due back at work that spring. One passenger claimed she saw Gerald and Shirley drinking wine at their dinner that night. Gerald's brother later said that he was aware Gerald had been drinking that day two bottles of beer that he was aware of. He also said that Gerald had more bottles of beer with him as he boarded the ferry. Both Gerald and Shirley took antidepressants to help manage their depressive symptoms. Gerald's doctor later said that had he been aware of Foyze's drinking problem, he'd never have prescribed the medication. The doctor later testified that it would be reasonable to conclude that the mix of alcohol and antidepressants could have, quote, caused drowsiness. Now, this in no way d- diminishes the responsibility of the crew and BC Fairies in regard to the couple's demise. However, it may have played a role. We will never know for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, but I'm kind of like, if even if they're like drunk... Who cares? Exactly. You know, they're 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 missing. It's uh, their choice. There's no doubt in my mind they're dead. But we have to be careful about how the facts are presented to us in these cases, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone's on both sides starting tries to mitigate, right? Right. And it's not necessarily the truth. Nope. Right. And the uh, truth is usually somewhere in the middle, and usually very boring. Yeah. And but people like it's instantly. Both sides want to start create to create narratives. Yep. And I actually had a situation when I was a junior where I was working for an agency and we were doing some PR and uh, a bus line had crashed. and oh, and, no. and a driver who was like 75 years old, uh, like seven people in the bus were killed. Oh, no. And I can remember like the, the bus company coming to us and my boss at the time, okay, we need to humanize, the driver had died as well. Mm-hmm. And it was a, we need to humanize him, right? Right talk yeah. about his kids and his grandkids because uh, the what I learned then is things can spin one way or the other really quickly mm-hmm. so it was all about hey let's try to stop you know um, vilification of a driver yeah um, and ma- and make him human right away totally it, it's it's an interesting fascinating thing that happens not just in it's in the courts and it's in the media right every every story you hear in media, uh,
0: on Facebook, on Twitter, everywhere, there's a spin. Someone has an agenda that they are yep. are are trying to forward. Mm. Everyone, yep. everyone. Mm. So uh, I, I've I've noticed a lot lately. People are sort of pointing that out now. Mm. You know that this is this person does this for a living, or you know that this is their agenda. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you should take into account that when you are just. You know, blindly believing Mm. what someone is telling you.
2: Well, you know what I do when when a big news. I I tend not to read the news too much because yeah, but I try to i'll 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 read a far right, a far left, a middle sort of news, um, site. Yep. Because the truth is sort of somewhere in between all of it, right? So I always read like both sides. Of, of what the spin is and try to figure out what's really going on myself.
0: So I've talked about it before on the show, I think, uh, but there is this site called ground.news that I use. Mm. And essentially it will give you the story and it will tell you How much it's being reported in the right Hmm. and how much it's being reported in the left. Interesting. Uh, For example, Bolsonaro supporters storm into Brazil, Congress clash with authorities. That's a big story. Oh, is that still going on? Uh, I guess it was happening yesterday. Wow. Uh, So Bolsonaro uh, obviously uh, lost the election and his people aren't happy. But this is being reported. 41% 41% on the left, mm. so it's being more reported by the people who are opposed to what's going on, mm. 33% in the center, and 26% on the right.
2: Mm.
0: So it's really interesting to see sort of the bias, the yeah. the bias in, in storytelling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. I love it. Maybe there was another explanation for the couple's disappearance. Perhaps they had not been on board to be evacuated. From Global News, quote, Jill Lawrence, who was traveling with her spouse to visit her sick father on Vancouver Island, recalled stepping onto an outside deck on the back of the ship to have a cigarette just before midnight. She noticed a middle-aged couple leaning against the outer wall of the ferry, standing in a quiet embrace and not talking. Lawrence said when she returned to her cabin, the couple remained outside. About 15 minutes later, she was jolted in her bed as the ship ran aground. I believe the couple outside was them because I never saw those people again. I just believe that because of the way the ship was listing, they could have fallen overboard. Quote. Regardless, no one has ever heard from Gerald or Shirley since, which is out of character for them. It is presumed that they died when the ship sank. All searches for them, including an extensive ocean search on the day they went missing, have proved fruitless, and a later inspection of the ship by submersible showed no sign of the missing couple. The obvious question was, how had this happened? How had such an experienced crew managed to run their vessel aground in waters they were familiar with? What came out was ugly and appointed at the ship's fourth officer, Carl Heinz Arthur Lilgert. From court documents, quote, Carl Lilgert was born in Germany on September 1st, 1953. His family immigrated to Canada in 1957, and he grew up in Edmonton. He completed grade 10 and dropped out of school following a serious motorcycle accident. He had a dream of working with boats on the sea and moved to Prince Rupert in his late teens. He started as a deckhand on a fishing vessel and worked for many years in the fishing industry. He constructed his own boat, which he lived on for a time. He and his now-estranged partner met in 1981 and had two sons who have grown to be fine young men. Mr. Lilgert built a family home in Dodge Cove, which many have described as a work of art. Lilgert began working for BC Ferries in 1990 as a casual deckhand, Eventually, he moved up the ranks to fourth officer on the Queen Charlotte and Port Hardy routes on the Queen of the North and the Queen of Prince Rupert. He was a respected, highly regarded professional mariner and a friend of his fellow officers and crew members. Some indicated they would sail with him today if they could, quote. According to the TSB, Lilgert, in charge of the ferry's navigation at the time of her grounding, failed to make a minor course change at or near Sainty Point. He allowed the Queen of the North to travel on autopilot at full cruising speed over 17 knots in the dead of the night straight into Gill Island. Lilgert's responsibility included the duty to oversee all operations on the bridge and to abide by the collision regulations and ordinary practice of seamanship. This included maintaining a safe lookout through sight, hearing, and navigational aids. Maintaining a safe speed to take proper and effective action to avoid collision and stop, having regard to prevailing circumstances and conditions, and ascertaining the risk of collision. So, what had he been doing, and how had he missed the course correction? It became apparent that Carl Lilgert and Karen Breiker, the queen of the Norse quartermaster, had previously been involved in a sexual relationship. The fateful night was the first time they had worked together since their breakup, and they had been alone on the bridge at the time of the incident. After Lilgert was arrested, he was charged with two counts of criminal negligence causing death, and the Crown's position was that Lilgert had either been distracted, either in an argument with Karen Breiker, or conversely, they had been engaged in sexual activity when the ferry ran
2: aground. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? So again, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Narratives being spun. Yep, totally. It's, it's funny, though. They're, they're like, it, they're, that is a very broad, you're either fighting or you're having sex. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it's there grasping a little bit, but it just, it seems a bit too easy, right? mm mm-hmm. um, You know, I actually heard, when I first moved to Vancouver, I heard this story from just regular person. Sure, everybody was talking and about the And what this person said to me was... And it's wrong, right? The captain was drunk and having sex with his lover who is not supposed to be on the bridge, right? Which, th- that is
0: that is exactly the story that I heard, too. And he and there's no
2: evidence, like, there's nothing... It wasn't,
0: A, it wasn't the captain. It was
2: the helmsman. It was the fourth officer. B, he wasn't drunk. Yeah, he wasn't drunk. Right, and yeah. C, they don't know. And And D, she was actually... The one steering. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it wasn't some, like, oh, just some person that came on the ship. Right. right. She worked for the ferries. Yeah. So it's just amazing how these things deconstruct and, and then the spin and this weird, I don't know. Um, People
0: hear half the story and then it's like the telephone game. Yeah. Things become yeah. this crazy story. So you heard that same story? I to- totally heard the same story. It's incredible. Yep. According to court documents, the defense's position was that, quote, any mistakes that Mr. Lilgert made were honest mistakes made in the course of his employment. Mr. Lilgert was fully engaged in the navigation and operation of the ship. The activities Mr. Lilgert undertook and the judgments he made on the bridge that night were based on his years of experience on the water. They were not undertaken recklessly or without regard for the safety of his fellow crew and passengers, end quote. Lilgert also claimed that he was taking evasive action to avoid contact with a fishing vessel that had come into the ship's path, but there is no evidence of this phantom ship ever existing. Lilgert said that Karen Breiker was at the helm and unfamiliar with the equipment on the bridge. While Carl Lilgert was on the stand, the Crown Attorney cross-examined him. From a National Post article, quote, The relationship the two of you shared, the Crown Attorney began, the attraction was powerful enough that whether it was sexual activity or an argument or a discussion coming out of the breakup of the relationship, that's what occupied your attention that night, not navigating the vessel. Lilgert simply replied, no. The Crown Attorney earlier suggested that Lilgert knew Breiker would be on the bridge that night, so he cut his break short and relieved the second officer, Kevin Hilton, early so he could be with Breiker on the bridge. And when you got to the bridge, whatever happened between you, whether it was sexual, an argument, a heated discussion, you just weren't paying attention to navigating the vessel, the Crown Attorney said. I'm suggesting that I was navigating and paying attention to the best of my ability, Lilgert responded.
2: Yeah, I feel, I don't know, but I feel like he's not being completely honest. No,
0: and what I'm about to read next... Oh, okay. ...actually... (laughs) Sort of proves that out a little bit. Okay. The record of the electronic chart system, ECS, from the Queen of the North and from a Coast Guard vessel tracking the ferry was contrary to Lilgert's evidence. Despite his convoluted explanation of convoluted maneuvers he claims he made in right sound to avoid a phantom fishboat... The ECS evidence demonstrates that the Queen of the North proceeded in a straight line out from Grenville Channel to the point of impact with Gill Island with no course or speed change 14 minutes from the prescribed course change. His attention was not focused on his job, according to this evidence. In her sentencing decision, the Honorable Madam Justice Stromberg-Stein wrote, I agree with the Crown that this is not a case of an honest but mistaken belief of someone trying their best but failing or a lapse of attention. This was not an error in a judgment call. This was a case of complete abdication of responsibility by Mr. Lilgert. Shortly after joining Miss Bryker on the bridge, he completely failed to take any steps to navigate the vessel. He ignored his responsibility to safely navigate a passenger ferry traveling at night at full cruising speed in waters with land nearby, knowing full well the risks and the possible, in this instance, the inevitable disastrous consequences. Whatever occupied Mr. Lilgert's attention on the bridge that night, it was not the navigation of the vessel. I do not need to speculate what Mr. Lilgert was doing on the bridge that night. I know what he was not doing. He was not doing his job. He was not navigating a passenger ferry with 101 persons aboard who had entrusted their lives and safety to him. The judge then sentenced Carl Lilger to four years behind bars and gave him a 10 year prohibition from operating a seagoing vessel. Ten years after the disaster, Captain Colin Henthorne and Harbor Publishing released Henthorne's book titled The Queen of the North Disaster The Captain's Story read it. It's great. According to the North Island Gazette newspaper, quote, when asked about being fired from BC ferries due to the sinking of the ship, Henthorne first said that he, quote, wasn't expecting it, but then added that he had actually thought about the subject and, quote, talked about it with my lawyer, but I was assured all along I'd be okay. I actually thought they were phoning me to come back to work, but they fired me, end quote. The article continues. Henthorne fought the termination from January 11, 2007 until November 24, 2011, when he lost on appeal to the British Columbia Court of Appeal. Henthorne felt the five-year process of trying to keep his job wasn't the most frustrating part. He was more so upset that, quote, "...the Workers' Compensation Tribunal ignored every piece of evidence that we presented. Their arguments were completely lame, and we were flabbergasted when we lost." It was a miscarriage of justice all the way. On the subject of the two passengers who went missing and were declared deceased, Enthorne said that they were definitely, quote, seen on board. That's confirmed all the way. Adding that the crew, quote, expected them to turn up, but in the end they didn't. When people go missing, you always hope they turn up. Maybe it's denial, but 10 years later, I still hope. I just can't help it. When asked about how he feels about the tragedy now that a decade has passed, Henthorne took a deep breath and said that the entire ordeal has, quote, just been an exercise in living with anger and trying to let it go, trying not to let it eat me up. I've reached a point where something will remind me of it and I'll get angry, but I know the anger's not going to destroy me. I just try to let it wash over me, end quote. BC Ferries did make some changes to prevent another miscount of passengers. According to the TSB, following the sinking of the Queen of the North, British Columbia Ferry Services, BC Ferries, updated the passenger reservation system for its northern fleet to create a manifest containing all passengers' names. At the terminal, all passengers are issued a boarding number, which is collected upon boarding, tallied, and then cross-checked against the names in the manifest maintained ashore. The tragedy also forced some much-needed changes nationally. On August 2nd, 2007, Transport Canada issued a ship safety bulletin recommending that vessel owners and captains have readily available information on all persons on board that will be of assistance during emergency situations and search and rescue operations the recommendation was made in anticipation of Transport Canada adopting the International Convention for the Safe of Life at Sea, the SOLAS Convention, with regard to the information on passengers with the following additional details. One, all passengers on board all passenger ships shall be counted prior to departure. The number shall be recorded and shall be readily available to the master. The master is the captain. Details of persons who have declared A need for special care or assistance in emergency situations shall be recorded and communicated to the captain prior to the departure. In addition, the names and gender of all persons on board distinguishing between adults, children, and infants shall be recorded for search and rescue purposes. And four, the information required by paragraphs one, two, and three shall be kept ashore and made readily available to the captain and to search and rescue services when needed. And obviously... Companies are now made to ensure that the crew are familiar with all equipment and procedures.
2: Yeah. So there you go, Matthew. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I was I was thinking while you're while you're reading there. Um, mm. You know, these you know, two people died, but it got me thinking about mass casualty events sure. where somebody made an error. Yep. Or kind of just did something stupid. But, yeah. but wasn't setting out to hurt anybody. Right. Right? Yeah. And like, think of, you know, how many stories have we heard of? Pilot error, driver error, captain error, cr- crowd control error, right?
0: Yeah. I, I remember that one event with the, it's like a cruise ship in Italy, I believe. That, yeah. 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 That ended up on its side and yeah. the captain
2: was blamed for that. Yeah. And, and I think of that driver who who hit the, the bus full of hockey players. In Humboldt, yeah. And just when these stories come out uh, there's like a level of hatred and vitriol that happens mm-hmm. and and i i kind of think you know people do people things yeah people make mistakes sure right it's not like these people set out to kill people no And, and so often everyone jumps on this like really, really harsh bandwagon, Mm. right? Like Canada was thinking about just deporting that guy who hit the, hit the the bus. Yeah. Right. He made an error. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just find it interesting that they're suddenly treated like they're like intentional mass murderers.
0: Well, I mean, you know, there is a level of responsibility when it comes to it's like, it's, that's the difference between negligent homicide, like yeah. negligent homicide yeah. and, and actual murder. So yeah. yeah, you made a mistake, but people died because oh, of your and mistake. and don't get
2: me wrong. I think people need to be punished and, mm. and we, we need to, to do this and set examples, but you know, Creating a culture of vengeance and, 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 and sort of right. vitriol from the public and, and, and sort of hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to live in a culture of vengeance like that. No. Right? No. Right? Like, yes, people should, you know, be fined or put in jail, like, depending on what happened. But they didn't set out to do this. No. Right? And that's it for Dark Poutine episode 250,
0: The Sinking of the Queen of the North. That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at 1877 327 5786 or one eight seven 877 dark We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. All right. It's time for voicemails. And before we get started, uh, just a, re- a reminder. So this is our first episode recording after Christmas. So probably into February... You're going to hear people wishing us Merry Christmas on our voicemails.
2: And we'll take it. We'll take it. It's either early or late. Right, exactly. But
0: a lot of people called us over the holidays. So we really appreciate it. We're going to enjoy them. Yeah. Extend it. Exactly. So here is our first voicemail. Let's have a listen.
5: Hi, everyone. It's Kale calling again. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm driving back to Anaganish right now from New Brunswick. And I was listening to the haunting episode, and I got really excited. It reminds me a lot of um, the blue nun legend that is a big thing at St. Effects. So the story, the most common story, I guess, goes that a nun in the, like the 60s, whenever Mount St. Bernard residence was inhabited by the nuns got pregnant by a priest at the university. The priest rejected her and refused to leave the priesthood. So in her despair, she completed suicide. Um, It's a big old story. I've never been able to find anything to back it up. But when I was living there during my first year of university, out my window that looks into the courtyard, I thought I saw someone jump off of a balcony of a building that is connected to Mount St. Bernard Residence, or MSB. So in that, I ran outside, I, like, ran right out into the courtyard frantically, and no one was on the ground. Everyone was going about their day normally, and I just looked insane. But, yeah, so uh, pretty cool story. Um, take a shit in your hat and have a good day.
0: Oh well, Wow. That's, that's actually kind of a cool story. I like it when people call, uh, to tell us about like haunting stories and, and this one in particular, they're talking about uh, like sort of around where that haunting happened. It's, it's fascinating. Nova Scotia has a lot of different
2: weird stories like that. Do you remember Blue Nun Wine? <laughs> Yes. From the 1970s. Yes,
0: I drank Blue Nun.
2: Everyone thought it was so fancy.
0: Fancy. <laughs> Blue Nun. Didn't it come with a screw-off cap?
2: Yeah. yeah. Which most wine does now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. But in those days, a screw-off cap indicated crap. <laughs> True. There was another wine that we drank called Great White back in Nova okay. Scotia. And you'll never guess what was on, on the label. A shark. <laughs>
2: yeah. It was a Great White Shark. Remember Baby Duck?
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, a couple of alcoholics talking 70s about were fun. booze. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our second voicemail.
3: Hmm. Hi Mike, hello Matthew, just wanted to drop you a message. I'm Andrea from English, Manitoba. I'm calling now to put you in the penalty box. Matthew branded me as a gin distiller. I'm actually the person that called in last year as Annie from Winnipeg to tell you about Winnipeg Square, why you can't walk across the street at Portage in Maine, and about the guy taking a poop in the planter in the downstairs mall and how that went viral. Matthew has already branded me as a city planner from that interaction. I sort of moved across the province. I guess I am currently city planning here in English. I just want to say that if I am also now a gin distiller, I'm going to need an increase in salary for taking on this new additional role. Thank you for everything you do. I absolutely love the podcast. I never shut up about it to my family and friends, and I think they're pretty irritated about that with me. But please keep up the great work and uh, go take a shit in a planter. Annie,
2: well, (laughs) thank you. I love that. Well, anyway, your extra pay is that you get to have some free gin.
0: Yeah, exactly. I thought that was her hobby.
2: Yeah, Mm. like so. It's like her side gig. (laughs) Too funny! Anyway, thank you, that's thank you great. so
0: much. And I, I'm always up for hearing more about the pooping in the planter. <laughs> go poop in your planter. I can, I can remember. I remember that like it was yesterday. I, I, it so traumatized me to see that video of this man just, you know, taking down his pants and having a giant old stinky <sighs> doo doo in the. Ugh.
2: Maybe that's how we sign off. Go shit in your planter.
0: Go, <laughs> go take a dookie in your planter. Look. Anyway, uh here's another voicemail. This one looks like it might trail off, so we'll <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll see. Hey, Nancy here. Just wanted to say I really love enjoying listening to you and Matthew talk. It kinda of reminds me of uh Long Vama Dead and Kenzie kind of thing. Cool <laughs> uh, you guys are amazing. You've helped me out so much with my mental health. I just really hope that the other podcasters don't know that I'm uh, not listening to them. But I will not say their names. I enjoy watching, watching, uh, anyway, listening. I'm from Cambridge, Ontario. I just want to say I really enjoy listening to you guys. You guys help me out with everything. Thanks again. Go shit in your
0: eyes. Well, it sounds like she kind of lost her confidence a little bit there. But you know what? But what
2: I love I is she, used to hate public speaking. She she compared us to SCTV. Yeah. Which which was the best show to ever grace the airs. It was. Did you know that their production budget was five thousand dollars an episode? Probably something no, like that. I, yeah. I was listening to something the other day.
0: I remember the Schmenge brothers, it was, wasn't it Eugene Levy and, uh, and John Candy yes. were the Schmange brothers. Cabbage rolls and coffee. Yeah. I love them so much. Yeah. It was a pretty funny show. Well, thank you, Nancy. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And, and you know what? We're glad
2: we're there for you as well.
0: Yeah. It's not easy for, to call in and, and yak, you know, like people, people start a conversation and we've heard it a
2: bunch of times. They start a call. Sometimes people just hang up, and they're just like, "Oh, to hell with this." Yeah, so it's all good. Yeah, no, but no, it's great. I'm I'm glad you listen, and um, I'm sure other podcasters are hurt that you don't listen to them. But just keep you know them. what? Just there's keep, there's keep other people who don't listen to this
0: show. Keep, so keep listening to us. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, here's our last voicemail.
4: Hi, guys. Uh, special hi to Steve as well. Uh, big fan here calling from Prince Edward Island. Uh, my name is Hazel. I just finished listening to episode uh, one on Diana Russell. It's a very sad case. Um, and I just wanted to put in my two cents worth um, for the voicemail section of the, sh- of the show. Um, you got a bit of a back and forth about the proper pronunciation of Newfoundland. I don't think anybody actually says Newfoundland, uh, but definitely here on the Atlantic coast, uh, we would pronounce it New Finland or Newfoundland. Um, anyway, I just want to uh, back up Mike there on your pronunciation. Um, I'd love to hear your guys' speak on a couple of... Um, cases that uh, come out of Prince Edward Island. We're a pretty small place and we don't get mentioned very often, I find on podcasts. Um, I think I'll write up an email with a couple of suggestions for you guys that I'd really love to hear you cover. Um, I guess that's it. Love the show, guys. Take care. Go shit in your head Bye-bye.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, so, Hazel. Over the years, we've covered a few since the one that she's talking about. And, and yes,
2: you know, Newfoundland understand Newfoundland
0: understand Newfoundland but
2: I've I've heard people call it Newfoundland yeah I'm like stop it
0: (laughs) that's wrong if you're British I could understand that because it's Newfoundland yes exactly (laughs) no it's
2: not people were here long before you (laughs)
0: exactly there's yeah well the Vikings you know
2: yeah yeah the Vikings were there First Nations people First Nations people and so Hazel's from PEI yeah it's a very small province. I love I have not gone yet, mm-hmm. but everyone tells me I'd love it. Yeah. And. Go uh, in the summer though. And in the late
0: summer. I want to go and, and. Don't go early summer because tourism is crazy. Yeah. Go late summer, like the end of August, okay. beginning of September. Perfect time to yeah. be it in PEI because you're, you have, you'll have the beaches to yourself. Let's do more crime from PEI. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have a few on my list.
2: Good. Yeah.
0: That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at 1877-327-5786 or 1877 DARKPTN. We'd love to hear from you, even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. It is time for Patreon and again, Uh, Wow, we're just catching up and we have a lot of catching up to do, which is really awesome. Uh, Wow, holy smokes. So first up, from Cambridge, Ontario, what's all those British names for the Ontarian places? We have Nancy Gray. Legal
2: commentator and television journalist. No, that's Nancy Grace. Oh, Okay, well, Nancy, Grace, Nancy Gray is also a legal commentator in television journalist. Well, good for her. Yes.
0: Yeah, she she probably was doing it long before Nancy Grace. She's with the Cambridge Daily News. The Cambridge Daily <laughs> News. <laughs> have you ever been to Cambridge, Ontario?
2: Of course I have.
0: I've been to Cambridge in, in England. Yes. It's beautiful. Wow. Talk about history. Is there a lot of history in Cambridge, Ontario?
2: There's a lot of history in Eastern Canada compared yeah. to over here.
0: Sure. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. So We're
0: still pioneering here. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And and with all the immigration that's happening right now, like I was reading, it was like something like 430,000 new Canadians last year. The more, the merrier. Exactly. Come on in. Um, next up we have, oh, so we forgot to say, what does Nancy, oh no. We no, we did.
2: No, okay. Whatever.
0: Goofball. Next we have somebody whose name is only CD. So we don't know a gender. We don't know where I they're know, from. I know who it is. Who is it?
2: It's Catherine Deneuve. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's a fan. Actress and icon. Yes. If, Catherine Deneuve. If you don't know her, everyone, look her up. Oh yeah. She's, she was.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful woman. Yeah. Yes. And elegant. Elegant. That's what, that's the word I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. Obviously an actor. Uh, where is she living now? Do you know? Paris. Paris. Oh, well, so of course. See the film Place Vendome. It's very good. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'll check it out. Next we have Susan Kinneberg. And I don't know where
2: Susan's from. She's Susan. from What Where's that? In the prairies somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And what does she do there in the prairies? Langestine? She's a speechwriter.
0: Oh, she's a speech. Who does she write speeches
2: for? She doesn't say. (laughs) Okay. Because they want people to think that they are smart. Oh. But in fact, Susan is the smart one. So, yeah, any politician. (laughs) Yeah, so she's actually writing policy.
0: (laughs) There you go. Good for you, Susan. Keep it up. And thank you for becoming a patron. Thanks,
2: Susan. Thanks, CD. Thanks, Nancy Grace.
0: (laughs) Nancy Grace. Uh, next we have Carolyn Butley and Karen, Carolyn is from Anna Bay, Australia. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. New South Wales. New South Wales. Yeah. So, um, what does Carolyn do there in Aussie land, where it's probably quite warm right now?
2: She takes old jean jackets. Yep. And puts diamantes on them. What's a diamante? Um, sparkles. Okay. And sells them. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, Someone's has to do the it. Very nineties. Yeah, but she's 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 making it come back. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someone's got to make things come back. Yep. Um,
0: I'm. I, I. think I never left some some style eras. You know. Uh, so I just kind of what like the lack of style era that oh, you've never left. Dear. <laughs> Matthew is very mean to me. He's very very <laughs> mean to me. really show. cruel. He's a real jerk.
2: Oh, sweet. <laughs> Lord. So... I didn't I
0: didn't mean that. You've you've said some mean things to me over the <laughs> Your style is your own. Ah. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Thank you to our patrons and now on to our donut money donors. And people were feeling really generous and Yay. festive over Christmas. So first up we have Russ Warren. And I don't know where Russ is from, Matthew.
2: Russ is from the San Francisco Bay area. Oh, is he? But he's originally from Chicago.
0: Oh, there you go. And Mm. what does he do there in San Francisco Bay? Thrower
2: of illegal raves. Oh, (laughs) so he throws raves? Yeah.
0: Well, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like a good rave. I
2: miss raving. Yeah, I never went. Oh, so much fun. I missed out like by like so much fun, especially when they're broken up by and a you, week when you have to like run from the cops. Yeah, well there you go.
0: <laughs> well, good for you. Thanks, Russ. Next we have Paul Lucignani. Oh uh, Paul. From... And Paul is from Australia. Oh. He's he says, Hi Mike and Matthew, happy new year, some donut money for you for you on your account of my patron. Not being happy with my credit card for January. Hopefully it works next month. Oh, thank you. Thanks for enduring through everything over these past few years. You both are a highlight in my week. I am recently retired, so please no employment. Unless, of course, it's related to testing out some new fishing rods out on the water. Okay. So there you go. So... He doesn't have any employment, but what's his hobby? What's his retirement hobby? Uh, clearly it's well, well, fishing. L-
2: Lusignani, is that Italian? It sounds Italian Do to you me. know the best coffee in the world? No. Is in Australia. Really? Yeah, because it, there's a lot of Italians in Australia. Yep. And it's like they held on to making good coffee better than the Italians did or something. The best cups of coffee I've ever had are in Australia. So I think he fishes and he's a coffee tester just for fun because he likes the coffee. Oh, there you go. And I've been thinking, you know, one, wonder something weird, Mike. No. <laughs> I, I haven't fished in, since I was a kid. No, me neither. And lately I've been kind of like. You have the urge to go fishing? Yeah. Huh. Isn't that weird? Interesting. Just to just to sit quietly and maybe it's a meditation.
0: Yeah, it is. I can't picture you fishing though. Uh, but uh, yeah. Why? What, what do you mean? Why well, can't you picture me fishing? You're just too fancy to go I'm fishing. I'm not
2: fancy. I'm wearing a T-shirt with a stain on it right now.
0: <laughs> oh, like uh, you know, I don't know. I I I think that fishing is a uh, is an interesting thing. I like when I went fishing as a kid. I never really caught much. Did you catch a lot of fish?
2: Yeah. Well, it depends on the day, but we fished all. The time when I was a kid.
0: And you went to, uh, you spent a lot of time on the Great Lakes. So did you fish on the Great Lakes or was it like-
2: Rivers, Great Lakes. Yeah. But we had, God, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking about, um, Paul. Mm-hmm. We, we had probably, I'm not kidding, like 30 fishing poles. Wow. And like boxes and boxes of lures and yeah.
0: There you go. That's great. Yeah. I didn't, I had a, like a little box of. And you, like, and a and you
2: pack of on box. in on, on the Atlantic.
0: Yeah. Well, I used to crab fish. Okay. I had like a crab fishing trap. Is that fishing that I would, or trapping? It's, well, it's still, you're fishing up a thing. It's not a fish. It's not really, no. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's a trap. But uh, I used to put like bacon on and the crab would, crabs would come and wow. take, take the bacon. Okay. And uh, yeah, and then I would pull up the trap and it would, would close up. It looked like a pyramid cool. and there would be crabs in there. Anyway, next up we have Petra Chudobova. Pe- and tra- Petra. we we've, we've heard that name before, I think. So thank you, Petra. What does Petra do with herself? She says... Have a lovely Christmas time. I wish you guys all the best. You're doing a wonderful job as always. P.S. I've listened to the episode where you are wondering how people had a hard living in the 20s. Guess what? I lived at a place with an outhouse just 15 years
2: ago. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. So Petra. So I want to know if there's like a little moon shape in your outhouse, Petra. (laughs) You know, the the little half moon that they carve in there. uh, Who knows? And why did they do that? So you could peek in? I think so. My mother had an outhouse until she, until she moved. Yeah? Yeah, until she married my dad. So where does Petra from? She said, well,
0: I think it she, sounds like an Eastern European I think name. she
2: lives here now, but she's originally from Prague and she's a film director.
0: Oh, good for her. Yeah. Has she directed anything I've seen? Probably
2: not. No. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Petra. <laughs> I, I didn't think of that. No, <laughs> thanks, Petra. No. I kind of, I kind of want to know, Petra. Yeah. Can you call or write and tell us this story of you living where there is an outhouse? Sure. Where are you are? Yeah, you curious. are you in the middle of nowhere? Are you sort of doing like on off grid? You just like
0: to poop outdoors.
2: Well, and that house isn't shitting in the woods though, right? Like it's well, still. Well, like, we want we want to know the story of this outhouse. So please let us know.
0: There you go. Next we have Sharon Hogue and Sharon says, wishing Mike, Matthew, Justin, Steve, egg and waffles a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Aw. Sharon lives in my hometown. Yeah. And she's mentioning my egg and waffles. They're such good boys. They love Matthew's coat.
2: They're so sweet. They are. Yeah. So I have like this like tweed jacket that Mm -hmm. I put down and like both curl up on it and like fell asleep. Yeah. They're very cute little boys.
0: So she's from your hometown and what does Sharon
2: do there in, is it Strathroy on yeah, Terrible? Yeah, she's in Strathroy. Mm-hmm. What does she do? I think she's, I don't think she does anything other than just wait to be crowned the Turkey Queen every summer. The
0: Turkey Queen? <laughs> yes. Oh, what's the Turkey Queen? Well, yeah. I'm not
2: from there. Turkey I don't know Festival. what. Turkey Festival. Okay. Yeah. So we were the, Strathroy was the biggest producer of turkey in the world for a while. Oh, and, um, there's the Turkey Festival every year and, uh, every year there's a Turkey queen and king. Bridgewater was the Christmas tree
0: capital of the world for a while
2: too. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Oh. Next we have Jennifer Hess. Jennifer Hess. And what
2: does Jennifer do and where does she live? Jennifer lives in Manhattan. Okay. And she's a philanthropist and socialite. Good for her. Yep. I want to be a th- philanthropist and socialite. <laughs> You'd make a good philanthropist and socialite. Wouldn't I? I I would like to do that, too. Wouldn't I make a great lady who lunches? You'd uh, like a lunch lady? No, a lady who lunches. (laughs) A lady who lunches. Okay, I gotcha. Anyway. Thank you, Jennifer. (laughs) Thanks,
0: Jennifer. And continue philanthropizing. And socializing And socializing. yeah. Next we have another Jen. This is Jen Harris. She says, "Merry Christmas, guys! It's been a crazy year, but I'm glad to have found you. It made the year less bad. Hope next year is great is a great one for you." P.S. Matt, my family is from Chatham and Wheatley, now in Leamington. So okay. she's she's told us where she lives. P.P.S. All of my pets are named after the Beatles and M&M. My dog is Ringo, John, <laughs> Ringo, John, Paul, George. My other dog is Eleanor Rigby. We also have chickens named after Beatles songs. Hilarious! So uh, oh, that's interesting. fantastic. That is really cool. Why not? Yeah, a chicken named Michelle. My bell.
2: <laughs> anyway, I, can you please, call college chicken, dear Prudence? Dear,
0: it probably is. I really a chicken want to ch- name Prudence.
2: A dear, no, dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Yeah. Okay. Jen is a Mandela effect researcher.
0: W- wow. Yeah. So the Mandela effect is a belief that you have or hold that
2: isn't necessarily true but one that the like a big part of the population, of the masses believe so. So, a lot of people, and I don't get this, right? and it comes it, from after Nelson, Nelson, Nelson Mandela saying he... a, a lot of people thought that he died in jail in the 80s, yes, but, but he he died like nine years ago or something like that, and he became the president of yeah. South Africa. And I don't get how people don't know that, but anyway, so the Mandela, so so Jen, uh, is a Mandela effect researcher, should have out how these things happen, mm-hmm. um, and um, her chickens. Are a great inspiration.
0: There you go. <laughs> They're a great inspiration to me. Any chicken named after Beatles song is, is pretty probably good, pretty
2: tasty. Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play?
0: Denise Walker. <laughs> Denise Walker is our next Donut Money donor. And she says, uh, a wee bit of donut, nay Christmas cookie money. Happy holidays. Thanks for the laughs and intrigue this year. Hugs from Stony Plain, Alberta. Ah. Stony Plain.
2: She has a company called Gravestones and Gargoyles. There you go. She's a stonemason. A
0: stonemason. That's kind of cool. I, I, I remember uh, a lot of really cool gravestones in the cemetery that I
2: used to work in.
0: I'm fascinated with cemeteries and gravestones.
2: Yeah. Love them. Did you go to the graveyards in London? Of course yeah. I did.
0: I I went to Highgate, both sides. You have
2: to go to Père Lachaise.
0: In Paris. So I was in Paris. A bunch of people went to Père Lachaise. And you didn't? I didn't because I was hungover. You fool. Yeah. I really am sad that I missed it because Jim Morrison's buried there as well
2: as a lot of other famous people Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Lots of people. But hey, you're, you're going to go to Paris someday. I am. What did I give you for Christmas other than books? You
0: gave me like little tags for my... Luggage tags. Luggage I, tags. I,
2: I'm I'm trying to promote Mike to to do more traveling of the world.
0: I do want to see more of the world. So I, instead
2: of airline tickets, I gave you luggage tags.
0: <laughs> I'm going to try and take a big trip every year.
2: You should. Yeah. Nothing like traveling.
0: Yeah. Like hit a different country every year. Do
2: it. Yeah, it should be fun. Next we have of
0: last but not least is our good friend Lori St. Germain Lori and she says sending some holiday treats for you Mike and Matthew and a chewy treat for Steve happy holidays to you all
2: the best Lori in Ottawa and we know what Lori does okay she started that elderflower liqueur called Saint Germain there you go yep very nice very nice thank you everybody thank you to all our
0: donors <sighs> past and present appreciate preach we preach thanks to all our patrons and donut money donors past and present for your generosity it helps to keep the show going you can become a patron of dark poutine at patreon.com slash dark poutine for a one-time donation you can send us donut money via paypal using our email address dark poutine podcast at gmail.com if you don't already subscribe to the show it would mean a lot if you did You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of darkpoutine.com, please check it out for show notes and other cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you took the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And that is it for this week's episode. Until next time, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple.
2: Go shit in your planter.
0: Go shit in your planter. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) At least make it your planter. Don't do it in somebody else's.
2: Don't do it downtown Winnipeg.
0: I barfed in someone's planter once at a party. I'm not surprised. And they, and I heard about it. It came back to me. Uh, It's somebody who was at the party was talking to the owner of the home and said, like, some disgusting pig puked in one of my house plants.
2: And it was me. (laughs) And we'll leave everyone with that. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. On Showcase.
4: You were in a concentration camp in World War II.
2: I was a young man locked up in a terrible place. Based on the international best-selling book. But I found something there. Someone.
3: We must keep living. Whatever it takes.
2: The Tattooist of Auschwitz. All new. Sundays. On Showcase. Stream
0: on Stack TV.